I learned over time the value of just getting everyone to get on the same page and move in a direction, albeit imperfect, because you can course correct. You can inspect and adapt as you go. That lesson took a while to sink in. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Phil Reynolds, co-founder and CEO of DevStride, an enterprise agile planning tool that frees teams and project from project silos. This is more commonly referred to as agile project management. I've really, I've really been looking forward to this interview today. I've known Phil actually since 2019 uh, when he and I met at InsureTech Connect in Vegas, and uh, he's a great track record and of success and a hell of a nice guy. He's a frequent speaker and presenter and has been featured in numerous national publications. He has placed repeatedly in the Inc. 500, been named Missouri Governor's Entrepreneur of the Year. He has obtained certifications for scaled agile leadership, property casualty underwriting, and leading change in complex organizations through MIT Sloan School of Management. He's also a member of the A-Crew Capital Crew of Leaders and an active, an active, an active LP <laughs> in the first Close Partners Network. I don't know why that's such a tongue twister. He's an avid fan of technology, music, whiskey, and cars, who enjoys mentoring first-time founders whenever possible. Phil, welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to uh, spending this time with you. Thank you so much for having me on, Carol. I really appreciate it. And I do my best to make my bio as much of a tongue twister as possible. Yeah, yeah. well, we, ap <laughs> we appreciate that, especially me. Yikes. If I could only alliterate all the certifications, it would be even better. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as I mentioned, um, you're doing agile project management at DevStride. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the point of not, you know, so that, that teams are not siloed. Is this the, uh -huh. really the lowest common denominator problem that you're solving? Uh, yes, uh, yes, and, and, and <laughs> it, 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 the, uh, the classic improv thing. Um, you know, at my former position at Brightcore, which mm -hmm. is where I spent the majority of my career, um, we were responsible for deploying enterprise software. Um, to large enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, a complex suite of products all have their own roadmaps, teams, and timelines. But when you go to implement those products for customers, those customers have complex teams, roadmaps, timelines. If you overlay onto that, a third layer even of once you bring in capital partners in a business where you have a Series A, Series B investor, which we mm -hmm. have both, uh, we're looking for ROI. Uh -huh. on various investments. You start dealing with a, a dimensional problem on who's doing what and why. And the problem that we ran into repeatedly at Brightcore was that that information was stored in projects and the projects didn't talk to each other. And so it was very, very difficult to get the teams to collaborate across projects because they, you couldn't see the work of the other teams and the uh -huh. other projects. And so we really struggled with that for years at Brightcore. 
And whenever we exited Brightcore and went on to start a new company, um, we really settled on DevStride and, and the project portfolio management space um, as an interesting problem because this was something we were very, very passionate about and right. we always wanted to solve for ourselves there. Yeah. So in many ways, we're just scratching our own itch <laughs> and trying try, trying to solve something that drove us nuts for many years. Yeah, well, and, and, I, and I might add that, that that is a common denominator among the founders that I interview. They, they actually, in their prior life, had a problem that nobody else was solving for them. Yeah. And yeah. they went out and, and I, founded a company as a consequence because it yeah. obviously, you know, you're not the only one with that problem. Right. I, ideally, you hope. Well, <laughs> so right. We are, we're, we're certainly in the phase right now. So we just um, completed our pre-seed mm-hmm. funding round yep. um, a couple of months ago. And so we are at the very, very, very earliest stages mm-hmm. of go-to-market activities. So we are post the initial build um, at an angel round that, that we personally funded for about 18 months where we, we built out the product and got mm-hmm. us to sort of your initial launch. And then we're in the middle of the early go-to-market uh, phase. And so right now, we're working through product market fit and right. you know how does our problem map to other people's problem and how do you make that value prop compelling for other people and make sure you're really listening to your customers, understanding their needs and their problems and what value you can deliver to them. And so we're right at in the middle of that that thought process and that journey right now. Right. And I and I might add that that you uh, closed your pre-seed for 3.2 million. So congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And that's a fairly, I mean, a fairly sizable pre-seed. Some are considerably smaller than that. Yeah. Um, do you think it was the problem that you're solving uh, or the fact that you are a former successful founder or a combination of both? It's probably a combination there. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, capital partners um, are always taking a risk when they invest in a new company, including, right. including mine. mine yeah, well, of course. Just because you've been successful yeah, once right. doesn't mean you're going to be successful doesn't mean, twice. Yeah, doesn't mean lightning strikes That's twice, right. necessarily. Right. But, but, but certainly, having done it before, you, you are, you know, you are unlikely to repeat certain mistakes that you made the first time around. You'll, That's of course, right. make new ones. Uh, but but you certainly learn. And so I think I think investing in established founders is one way to de-risk your investments. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that the space that we're in, project and portfolio management, is a particularly large TAM. And so there's a very large addressable market here. Um, there, virtually all companies need some sort of work management and orchestration. And so, so you know, it, it's a big problem domain, a big space. Um, which then is also then, of course, attractive to investors. Um, though, of course, it's a crowded space. And so, you know, right. th- that there, uh, the strength is also a challenge where there are a lot of people that do something kind of similar to what we do. It's different. We have a differentiated offering, but but on paper and at first glance, a lot of what we do looks similar to what other people do. I, I, I was going to ask you about the competitive nature of this marketplace. Yeah, yeah, so, fiercely competitive. Um, so there are, you know, there are enterprise agile planning tools uh, things like Jira and Rike that are right. really well known. Trello is probably much, one of yeah. those. Yeah, right. Yep. So yeah, yep. and Trello tends to be a little bit of a down market competitor. It's also owned by Atlassian, um, right. who, who owns Jira as well. Right, I knew that. Um, yep. And Trello is kind of their lightweight version and then Jira is heavier than Jira. Line is their like enterprise level okay. uh, offering, all of which are, are, are good products. I, I would never, we did not get into this space because we think the existing products are terrible and they suck. Um, then you also have uh, tangential work management tools like ClickUp, Monday, 
where they're not built around agile planning. They're just built around task assignment to people on what just frequently called a board or a list mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and they are, those are all great tools for a, you know, obviously they're incredibly successful companies are doing well. They're, they're good tools. What they fail to address is if you have work in multiple projects, that all needs to be tied together somehow. And you're trying to drive alignment and collaboration and visibility across multiple projects. Those tools don't really address that need. And not every company has that need, but for the companies that do, we hope that we can offer a compelling solution. Yeah, fantastic. So as, as you uh, talked about, uh, and I want to talk about a little more detail, you founded Bright Core in 2003, uh, just a year, I believe, after you got out of school at Missouri State, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a, yeah, I guess I would have been, I, we, I think we really began the company in 2004, 2003 was more okay. of an exploratory year. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Transition, a gap year, um, if you will. I was actually in children's music songwriting at the time mm-hmm. for a year. And so I, I did that for, for a hot second. Got it. Um, Got it. I okay. still randomly receive royalty checks for, uh, songs that I wrote, uh, back in the early 2000s. Oh my God. That must be, music. that must um, just tickle you when a little royalty oh, check is, comes it, in. Yeah, it's a total blast from the past. And, yeah. uh, every time one shows up and, and then it, it's, uh, you know, it reminds me of a whole different life that I used to have. Right. Um, but yeah, so we started it early on, um, began doing purely website development. And, you know, doing that, we ended up working for a group of credit unions who then wanted an electronic banking statement product. And we developed that as an add-on to their websites Mm -hmm. as well. And a board member for one of the credit unions happened to also be the president of a mutual insurance company. And he approached me after a board meeting where I demoed this this, uh, e-statement product that we had done. And he said, hey, if you can do e-statements, could you do a quoting system for my agents? And uh, having no idea what I was getting myself into, I... Say, eh, sure, why not? And so uh, I did that with my cousin, Chris. We, we founded that company yeah. together and then really enjoyed, you know, building and growing it, running it together. We had no idea what we were doing, um, but we stumbled through and we got the uh, first quoting system out and sort of as a, as a testament to the need in the market at that time, uh, despite the fact that we didn't know what we were doing, we still ended up producing what I think was the best, by far the best product in the market for, for you know, web-based quoting for regional mutual insurance companies. And so... That business kind of took off for us. We quit our day job, started the company. Originally, it was called IWS, Intuitive Web Solutions. And uh, we ran under that name while we did quoting systems for a long time. And um, fast forward to, I guess it would have been 2009. And a group of those customers um, asked us if we would push the quotes into their policy admin system. So take the quote from an insurance agent and turn it into a real policy in, in my administration system. And so we approached the vendor at the time and said, hey, we'd, we'd like to do this. And the vendor basically said, you know, take a hike. And we're like, uh, that's just like, I wouldn't tell all your customers, no, that's that, I wouldn't do that. And they were like, nope, we, you know, strategic differences, competitive differentiation. We don't want to give you access to our core system. And we're like, okay. So we went back to the customers and said, hey, they said no. And boy, did it piss those customers off. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, it made them so upset. And so within a few weeks, they had rallied, pulled together several million dollars in operating capital and came to us and said, if they won't play nice, then um, go build the admin system. And yet again, we had no idea what we were doing, but we we're just marched into the room. <laughs> we'll figure this out. And we did. And from 2009 to 2011, we built the first version of Brightcore. Right. Um, launched it, did a pre-seed round or actually a seed round in mm-hmm. 2011. Um, value of the company, I think like 6.1 million. Yep, and we yep. had like six customers then. Um, and fast forward all the way to 2019 
And we had, we were up to 87 customers, a $180 million valuation in a series B. And so the company, you know, did really well. And we learned a whole lot about property casualty insurance, uh, over that whatever 15, 16 year journey <laughs> that we ran, ran bright core. Yeah. And that's really great. So, so, you know, like I said, you, you know, you stumbled into it, you didn't know anything. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, as a first time founder, yeah, uh, you know, some of the mistakes that you made and <laughs> I mean, I don't need to, I don't how need to hear all, yeah, have? I know. I, I, that's what every, that's how everybody responds, but let's, you know, Pick out, let's say, maybe two or three of your most glaring mistakes. Oh, um, my. And, okay, and, yeah, and, I could you know, what you, what you learned and how you pivoted and, sure. and so on and so forth, and, and maybe why you made those mistakes. Yeah, okay, so, um, yeah, in, in no particular order. Yeah. Um, one early mistake I made was um, over-engineering to a specific customers' needs, as opposed to thinking like a product leader and a product manager. Interesting. So because a group of customers approached us, we really built a, a bespoke solution mm -hmm. for their needs. And we went to expand Brightcore to other carriers. We always felt pain from the sort of the design limitations that just came from our own lack of awareness sure. early on. Um, that, you know, hey, you know, all, all what is it, all uh, swans are, are white until you see the black one, right? And then it's like, ah, they, like, oh, there's a whole carrier over mm -hmm. here that doesn't mean completely different that we never, never contemplated. So, so that was one of them. And, and I learned a lot about doing um, diligence in product and market research, which we did extensively at DevStride. And I think we've done a really nice job of positioning the product to reach a broad market and scale efficiently mm -hmm. um, because I learned that lesson earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was one. Um, another, I used to think that um, all that mattered was hiring really nice, smart people. And if you did that, you could you could teach them anything. And, oh, yeah. and I used to hire people that just, I just liked them when I interviewed. And, and by the way, many of those people worked out very well in the long run. However, I learned later as the company started scaling the value of hiring a professional into um, a role or position because you just don't know what you don't know. That's right. And the smartest person in the world, if on their first go around, is going to make some big mistakes. And so increasingly, as, as Brightcore grew, uh, we brought in more, you know, seasoned and uh, vetted, credentialed uh, leaders. And at DevStride, we started the company with people who all have 15 years of experience in their domain uh, so, so that we're, we're doing a little less bumbling around <laughs> figuring it out as we go. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I'll say, I'll give you a third, but then I'll yep. you feel free to prompt me for anything else you'd like to hear. But, um, another one that I, that I think I had really wrong early on, I used to think that success was all about getting to the right answer and knowing the right thing and being right. And, you know, discovering the right solution, the right path, the right workflow, the right, whatever. And it's probably just a function of being young and precocious and all sorts of things. And yeah. uh, I used to really value being right a lot and getting the right answer. And yeah, a lot of people still I, do, by, I might add. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I've, That's I've a big, big, big driver, I might add, of many yes. people. Yeah. I, I, I learned yeah. that, that for, at least for in my experience, success was driven much more heavily by your ability to motivate and align people underneath a goal. And that has so much less to do with being right than it does with building um, alignment and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that led to DevStride. 
um, is, is that, that uh, there, there's, a, there's a really great um, case study analogy that, they, uh, that I picked up while I was doing um, some executive education um, at the Sloan School. And there, it's the, I think the case study is called Any Math Will Do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's this, uh, the idea, there was a, a, a crash landing happened for a sports team in the mountains mm-hmm. and they're forever and ever away. Yeah. Uh, from civilization and yeah. and somebody found a map in the wreckage and every everyone followed the leader who grabbed the map and you know the harrowing journey follows but they ultimately almost everyone survives and, and probably everyone should have died and the reason they survived is that they just kept moving and i learned uh over time the value of just getting everyone to get on the same page and move in a direction, yeah. albeit imperfect, because yeah. you can course correct. You can inspect and adapt mm-hmm. as you go. And and that lesson took a while to sink in. That it, it was not about me being right. It was more about building alignment in the team. And 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 that that proved so much more successful for me after I learned that lesson. That's really interesting. So what have you done? Now, with your current company, I mean, you're, you know, you're just seven people at this point, yeah. but what have you learned from that alignment point and what have you done so far about that? Yeah, so um, quite a few things. Um, one of the, the biggest things is we use our own software um, right. to manage our company. And as you would imagine, we would since we're scratching our own niche. Exactly. And, um, so from day one, going back to the moment our software became capable of tracking activities, which wasn't really day one of the company because we had to get the software to that point. But um, really from the point that it's been capable of doing that, we have tracked everything that happened in our company inside of DevStride. And DevStride is designed in such a way that it lets you um, track your work in a map of work streams that then later can come back and tell you, hey, here's sort of the overall heat loss, effort, spend, um, the collaboration, the pain points, the choke points in all these different work streams across your company. Um, and, and in doing so, what we've tried to do is we've tried to democratize access to information about what we're doing here and why we're doing it. And so, so really, we have tried to do everything we can to break down silos and, you know, of course, there's some places where information is genuinely sensitive and you of have course, to keep right. it behind lock yep. and key. Yep. But, but, but I, I am a big believer in when possible, try to share with context. You know, non-contextual information mm-hmm. can be more dangerous than no information. <laughs> but, but that's kind of the point is building that context, maintaining that record. Right. And we've really done that with our team. And we've done it since day one. And what has been fantastic is, um, as you mentioned, we only have seven full-time staff members. So there's another like, 10 contractors that we have on a fractional basis. But um, there are, um, it's a small team. When I show people the software we have built to date, consistently, like 100% of the time when I'm giving people a demo of the software, they're like, oh my God, you did all of this in 18 months with, at the time, four people. Now we're seven after right. the fundraise. Right. Like, How did you do that? I'm like, because we are really tightly aligned. Like we are all, Great. Doing the same, we're in one mind mm-hmm. in everything we do, mm-hmm. and of course, there's a, there's a distance to which you can scale that concept. At a certain point, that begins to break down, and there be, begin to necessarily be layers and all those things. But I, it has been really fun to be able to run a team and implement a lot of methodologies, practices, tools 
that drive genuine collaboration and alignment. And it, it has been so rewarding to see the multiplier effect that that has on our, our output. So uh, you co-founded Destride with your wife, Chastin, as well yeah. as uh, Quidem Ho- Hoja, I think is his yep. uh, name. Hoja. Right. Um, who's your CTO and co-founder. Um, and Aaron Saloff, um, both whom worked for you at Brightcore. Yes, they were both part of my team at Brightcore in the past. Right. So what was it about these two people that had you say, yeah, they should be my co-founders? Well, um, and your wife, I might add, because it's not always easy working with your spouse. <laughs> true, I will point true. out. Yes. Well, uh, it was especially so, since uh, you're all working at home. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. During COVID, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, a, a lot of things. Uh, number one, uh, hell of a nice group of people. I mean, just the best people you could ever hope to meet. I, I, every, on the weekend, if I ever get a chance to spend any time with any of those people, I'm obviously my wife. But, but, but that's what I want to do. They're, they're just really great, great people. And that includes the team that we've extended to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just awesome character, work ethic, all of those things. Also, two of the smartest people I've ever met, fastest workers I've ever met, just this last week, we were trying to solve a computer science problem and I hit up a few of the senior VP level engineers I had at Brightcore uh-huh. in the past and said, hey, trying to solve this really difficult computer science problem. Do you guys have any ideas? And genuinely, the whole group was kind of stumped. And Quitem uh, w- just went into a hole for like two days. And comes out with a solution to dimensionally unpacking a hierarchical node tree, which yep. sounds as complex as it is. That's <laughs> it's, over it's my head. Difficult. Yeah. Um, and so he and he just he just did it in a weekend, and I was just like, "Oh my my God! This you're so smart, and you are so good, and and it is just an honor to work with people that are that talented." And of course, early on in a company like this, I have the benefit of being able to leverage a deep network from prior success. Of course. And pick, you know, cherry pick people who are truly excellent at every stage. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to operate on the efficiency of everyone in the team as an ultra high performer. And so that that's how I picked the two of them. Um, they were also consequently had, had visited with me for years about their own interest in this problem. So I knew they were interested in the space. They had even been working on kind of an open source tool themselves that they thought would sort of address some of this. So I knew they had interest. I knew they were great. Um, I knew they were good, good people that I just wanted to spend time with. Um, on on the working with your wife thing, um, that one's actually kind of, kind of uh, not totally unique to us. I actually just had um, dinner last night with a gentleman in Kansas City who's been a very successful um, commercial real estate investor. And he and his wife have worked together for 30 years and um, do so really successfully. So we enjoyed that conversation mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but I think, um, you know, the, it, we're, we're kind of odd ducks in this way. We, we have worked together so long. Uh, she was my CMO at Brightcore and she was, was great. And she was very much responsible for um, the exponential surge that we saw in our growth from, you know, 2011 to 2019. Right. She was a huge part of that story. And so for us in our relationship, where a lot of people like their thing is cooking dinner on Friday nights or going to the movies, whatever for us, our thing is like 
cuddling up next to the fire and researching like go-to-market positioning statements. <laughs> 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 very sexy. <laughs> very sexy. Yes, yes. Yeah, light the candles, pour a glass of wine. Yeah, and, <laughs> right, right, right. That's fantastic. That's the latest Gartner research. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So I- I'm hoping you're get- willing to talk about this a little bit. Sure. Uh, you served as CEO of Brightcore until yeah. early last year. Yeah, happy to talk about this. Yeah, when uh, you were removed, (laughs) (laughs) although you still remain chairman of the company. Yes. Which is fantastic. Remain engaged. Tell me a little bit about what was behind that, how you felt about that. Sure. Um, And and that happened prior to you coming up with the DevStrite idea, correct? It did. It did. I mean, I, well, sort of. Actually, I told you I had been having this conversation with Tim and Aaron but you hadn't made a commitment to it, though, had right? Made no commitment to it. Got at it. All. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it was, it was a, it was an ongoing Slack channel that we had. Yeah. It was like this problem. So we had to solve this problem, and we were trying to solve it for Brightcore Got at it. the time. And so, and then it just turned into a whole business. But, um, but yeah, um, so, so yeah, I, I actually feel really comfortable talking about all okay. of that at this point. Um, so yes, um, there was a point post Series B where the goals and aims that the board had for Brightcore diverged somewhat for from my vision as CEO of where I thought the company operationally ought to, you know, what the next steps mm-hmm. ought to be. And that's not a bad thing. And I, I want to emphasize that mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people, um, if you're a founder, especially if you're a first-time founder, which I was, it feels like your baby. And if someone came to you and said, I'm taking your baby, right, you would right. fight to the death. And that's right. So, a business is different and, and it should be different. Um, it is, you have a board for a reason mm-hmm. and you have a board because you are bringing a group of people together with a lot of judgment, wisdom, oversight. And if the majority of that board decides that this is the direction strategically the company wants to go, and especially if you've raised money from a capital partner, one thing that a lot of founders have a hard time sort of wrapping their brain around is once I sell the equity, I have in fact sold the equity. It yes, is now their have. company, not That's mine. Right. I, I'm a minority owner in this company. That's right. And so, so I, I was, um, of course, you know, had some differences of opinion in some of the direction that things were heading. But also, I wanted to be very supportive and tried to be as cooperative and helpful throughout that process as I could be, because I fully recognize that, that the, going back to what I said earlier, the any map will do analogy. Um, the worst thing for Brightcore could have been, um, you know, if the board wanted to go a direction, I wanted to go a different direction mm-hmm. and we were to get in a fight of some sort and have a, a big, you know, hostile, right. engage, that would be awful for everyone. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's, right. that's just value destroying in every mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so I, I genuinely believe very much in the value of oversight and governance and all those things. And I'm, I'm okay to be in the minority. That's all right. And, yeah. uh, and, and, it, and it freed me up to go do what I'm doing now and had a really That's successful right. fundraise. And I'm excited about DevStride. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about it. And right. uh, in many ways, I have learned about myself. Of course um, you have. That, yeah, I, I enjoy going from zero to one uh, yeah. a lot. It's really, really fun. And it's, it's a place that I thrive. And so I am probably having more fun now than I was then. Um, just because I get to do more fun things yeah. now. <laughs> well, you know, things tend to happen for a reason. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, anybody who stays with a company too long, regardless of what that position is, especially when you've been in the same position all those years, I think you can, you know, 
it's not like you get stale, but, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of fresh ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. No, not and, and at all. The thing I try to really counsel a lot of early founders on, especially as they're raising capital, That's is, right. look, you have to recognize that, that you are a f- founder describes your relationship to the business at a point in time, CEO at a point in time, that point in time will change. And yeah. you need to grow with that reality mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, entrenching yourself and it, it just- it, Digging it, your heels in. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's right. not helpful to anyone. I, I listen, and, I, yeah. Yeah. Go on. No, well, I was just going to say that I, I really, I, um, one of the things that I think was really great about that was when I then went to raise capital for DevStride, my Series A capital partner, Radiant Capital, was one of my strongest references for DevStride and the capital raise. Yeah. And I think it's because we just collaborated really well through that whole process and it was it was fine. Yeah, that's really that's really important. And I'm 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 glad you talked about that because, you know, every when I hear a story like that, I often think, you know, so often these young technical founders, they're like, you know, if, if if their investors even suggest that, you know, they be the founder, C, co-founder, CTO and bring in a CEO, they're like, no, my company, mine, you know, and, and if you don't like it, too bad, I'll go get money from somebody else. And often, you know, I think I, I've seen venture capital say, all right, fine, you can be the founder, then CEO, right? Which, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that's a great strategy. You know, they, they you know, the, the capital partner really has to have the stones to say, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. we, you know, we really like you, but you, we don't think you're strong enough to be the CEO as a first time yeah. founder. Well, and you know, one of the things I can assure you is that at the point you get a big, uh, major series B, uh, you know, top 10 investment firm, they certainly have the stones. They are, they are designed to, to operate on a, they're designed to operationalize scaling companies. That's what they do. Well, there's a lot more money there. You know, it says you move yeah. up the food chain <laughs> that way. And, you know, and it makes me think of that idiot Zuckerberg to think, you know, if he did not own 51% of that company, I can't, I can't, I cannot even fathom he wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have dumped him years ago. I, I would imagine that, that the board meetings at Meta are probably lively. <laughs> well, yeah, they're probably a shit show. So, yeah, lively is a, gen, is a generous term, I think. Um, so... What would you say, Phil, are the biggest challenges you're facing currently yeah. within DevStride and within this industry that you've, you know, you've entered into? Yeah. So I and think, are, you know, and are right your now, competitors facing the same challenges? Not in the boardroom for the competitors. I'm not sure. Um, I will tell you that for us so far, I mean, again, early, we just yeah. launched go-to-market activities in the last month. Right. I am in the middle right now of showing DevStride to companies for the first time. Yeah. And here's the problem I'm currently trying to solve. Everyone looks at my tool and it goes, oh my God, that's amazing. And then they're like, coming, but (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's hard to switch. My data is all in Jira or whatever. And I, this would be so great had I started out with this, but I didn't. And now it just sounds like a lot of work to do something different. And so I get that. I'm trying to solve. I, think yeah. I actually don't have a solution to that problem yet. Um, I need to I need to figure that out. And so um, our real um, pain point right now for us, the thing I'm trying to solve is 
everyone loves what I've done. Everyone sees the value in it. I've not, yeah. I'm, how, how do you make it no painless criticism. for them to switch? Yeah, how do I make it painless for yeah. them to implement? Well, and hopefully so, somebody's going to be listening to this and is going to come up with that idea and reach out to you. <laughs> yes, that would be that would be fantastic. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so our, our early customers mostly have been... Um, people who did not have, have a solution data. Yeah. And so they, and they're like, oh my God, this is great. And they're, they love it. They just love it, love it. They're like, oh my God, this is great. But you know, you'll, you'll find a diminishing number of companies as you swim up market who are willing to like rekey data, for example. And so we're going to go need to build this, this huge suite of enterprise importers. The trick with that is DevStride is truly a revolutionary way of thinking about work management as a holistic um, portfolio of value streams, not as individual projects. And so if you go to import data from a system like Jira, you kind of have the garbage in, garbage out problem of if I import the, the structure of a bunch of Jira projects into DevShot, I could do that, but then you would have the same constraints. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that wouldn't be very compelling anymore. <laughs> and so, right. so we get it, we have just have, we're wrestling with that, trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um... Yeah, well, I have some I, I have some questions to ask you, and we'll, we'll do those uh, we'll do those offline here. But yeah. um, what have you seen? Your when when people come to you and they have not had a solution, Phil, what have they been doing, and where have they been wasting their time and money? Yeah, so frequently they've been. Um, I'm thinking the people we've converted so far are mostly coming from one of two things. Mm-hmm. They're coming from, I have a manual workflow in like Excel or something where I'm keeping rows in a spreadsheet. That's a thing. Um, or I went and tried to manage a real business in a tool like ClickUp or Monday or something. Mm-hmm. Those are awesome tools, but they are more awesome for direct workflows where it's like one worker is aligned to one project and and then I'm just, and that's it, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, where I'm organized. If your company's organized that way, those tools are awesome. They have a million features that will take us forever to go compete mm-hmm. with some of those things. But if you are, again, the you have the problem of multiple teams working on you know, cross-functional work streams, those tools start to break down for you a lot. And so a lot of our customers are coming to us with, hey, I tried to implement on something like this my data is stranded. I can't see it. And so they they have something, but it's working so poorly for them that they feel like they have nothing and they're perfectly happy just to start over. It's like, I'll just scrap everything and the next sprint will enter everything in DevStride and go. Right. Interesting. Um, who Who is your ideal client? Yeah, so for us right now, an ideal client would be any team that is practicing um, agile methodology. Okay. So that would be like, you know, Scrum or uh-huh. Kanban, those kind of things. Uh-huh. So I'm an agile team. Um, I am working in some sort of cross-functional capacity. So for example, I'm an enterprise B2B SaaS company and I have three products and I'm implementing them for 10 customers. I now have a dimensional data problem right. I have to go solve. Um, and so really... Uh, there are multiple ways you can slice and dice that, but a really, really center of the bullseye customer for us is a medium-sized B2B SaaS company. Okay, that, because yeah. Because if I'm medium-sized, I'm not so big, I'm in an enterprise where I have a million requirements on data security and GDPR and all these different things that you have to go like go into the weeds with the compliance on. Um, we, which, by the way, we do have all the compliance things more or less built in, mm-hmm. but it's, that's different than having a compliance department to deal with the auditors. <laughs> that's, right. that's a whole different ball of wax. And um, I know because we did that at Brightcore for many years. Um, and so, uh, so if you're too small, you probably lack the complexity to care whether you can track data across multiple dimensions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're a team of probably more than 10, 
but okay. less than 250 mm-hmm. and you're working in some sort of B2B software or big enterprise software, like you're probably center of the market for us. Like, you, you know, you should probably take a look at what we're doing because I think mm-hmm. it would be compelling for you. Tell me a little bit about your marketing, how you're getting out there and finding, you know, finding prospects. Is it mostly outbound now? Do you have any inbound coming in? What are you doing? Yeah, um, it's, well, so far it has all been inbound, okay. um, but we do have awesome. an outbound function. Mm-hmm. It's just taking time to spin up. Of course. Um, so uh, the, and the way that we're doing that is through a whole, you know, complicated go-to-market strategy that involves SEO, social advertising, mm-hmm. Appearing on podcasts just like this one um, for influencers and, you know, thought leaders. Right. Um, establishing ourselves as someone who, who does, in fact, understand the problem, know what we're doing. Right. And then um, we've joined, I, I just appeared on the um, Nathan Lotka's podcast. Yeah, I saw last that. Last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, leadership and insurance a few weeks before that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just trying to, to make sure that we're, we're out there. And that is generating a fair bit of buzz and traction. And then we also, because of that, we're getting picked up in places like um, there was an article last month in Business Insider that came out mm-hmm. um, on us. There's one coming out oh, really I soon. I missed that. And, yeah, awesome. there's one coming out really soon in Forbes. It's going to be great. Um, and so the, the, some of the major publications are trying to pick those things up. And, and that's really cool. And so, um, yeah, so, so far that is generating inbound, you know, traffic. Um, but again, I have, I have a, have a commit and convert problem that I have to go solve. <laughs> commit and convert. Yeah. Well, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get it solved. I'm, I'm sure. Um, it, it, how many, I mean, do you have paying customers yet? Yes, we do. So, so people aren't just on trials. Okay. How many nope, paying customers have, do you have at this point? Are you willing to divulge that? I am willing to divulge it with three, <laughs> three okay. paying customers. That's all right. Um, that, but we have a whole bunch that are in a, like a trial right now. Um, after I did the big podcast a couple of weeks ago, we got a flood of inbound uh, awesome. trials. Um, now, I don't know how many of those will or won't convert. Well, that, yeah, that'll be, that'll be curious to find out. And of course Super you won't know it's just yet. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I want to know. And, and my, my guess is that the conversion numbers will be low still yet because mm-hmm. I think that what we need um, that we're missing right now is some really, really great onboarding support materials um, because we have this great tool, but it's a co- it's the complex problem to solve and therefore setting it up correctly is more than like, it's not a 30 second tutorial. It's like, you know, you need to spend a couple hours understanding how to set this all up correctly and define mm. your work streams and define your teams and you know, all of that. And so, so we're putting a lot of energy right now into building really great onboarding materials so that, that the inbound customer can both find us and onboard themselves. So is, you know, moving forward, is your, is your strategy for onboarding to do that via, you know, self-learn? I mean, you'll have the materials up there or is there going to be some sort of, you know, post-sales support or, you know, customer success support that somebody can actually have a conversation with and onboard them? Yeah, we're going to do all of the above. Um, so Good. yes, and. And we um, are going to, uh, so one of the things that'll be coming out in the next release, we, we release uh, a new version of DevStride uh, to our SaaS customers okay. every two weeks. So every two weeks we push out a new, like a big update. Awesome. Um, and it's been a, a good release cadence for us. Um, in the next one that's coming out, there will be a, when you first log into DevStride and you haven't logged in before and you show up as a new user, it's going to pop up a little window that says, hey, and a little video is going to pop up with me. And it'll be like 10 seconds. It'll say, hey, thank you so much for, you know, checking out our tool. We're so excited to have you here. 
we are offering free guided implementations right now. Very with great. A real human being. Real, yes, real human being. This to is send I mean, an email. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is one of my biggest, biggest complaints with some of the tools that I use. You can't. All you can do is chat with somebody, and I don't mean chat verbally. I mean over, you know, chat. And maybe it's an AI, maybe it's a bot, you're not even sure. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it starts with a bot and then hopefully yeah. you can get a human being. And, and in a couple yeah. of cases that I use, I, I can get, a, you know, you get a human being. And, but what I will say is in some instances, so I, I'm not a good learner that way, right? I, yeah. I, I, I learn better by... You can't really ask questions as easily well, that's, in that that's, sort of environment. And that's for me as a problem, right? I mean, I, my whole life is about asking questions. And it's, you know, I have to type them and I'm making typos and I don't want to have to be bothered to capitalize stuff. And I mean, seriously, I just want to get my problem solved and I want to move on. And, and by having to do it over text, it takes exponentially longer in my opinion to to get anything. And that just makes me crazy. I feel like we're moving into, and that's why I asked you the question. I feel like we're moving, we've been moving in. It's not like this just started moving into a, um, like this new realm of, <laughs> you want to talk to a human? Don't hold your breath. Right. Not going to happen. Well, I think I think a lot of that is driven by, um, there is a mantra that is oft repeated in the SaaS world and yeah. the VC world right now of building a flywheel. And the flywheel, what they really mean is, how do you fully automate the application deployment, onboarding, scaling of your solution. Uh-huh. And why? Because automation tools are cheaper than people. Um, that, well, of course, right. Yeah, yeah of course. I, I mean, yeah. I know that. Yeah. But um, the issue, of course, with that is that, that we don't, you don't feel good when you talk to a chatbot, and I don't either. And maybe there's a day out there in the future where the AIs get so good that I can't tell the difference. And I believe I'm really talking to a person. That day is not today. And today, there is a dramatically superior user experience that surrounds guided, I'm going to listen to you, I will listen to your need, your problem, I will look at your screen, I will advise you on how to implement my tool to best meet your use case specific to you. And, and so that, that's exactly why we're setting it up that way. Yeah. And, and that, by the way, really is glad part to of hear why Brightcore was so successful, was that we yeah. had We've made very large investments in customer success and implementation mm-hmm. services and all those things. It, it's yeah. it, it's a tool is just a, a tool can be used for good or bad. And um, so much of implementing a tool for good is about change management, discipline your organization and yeah. change your thought patterns, your process and all that requires the, a bit of handholding. Yeah, uh, well, and and like I said, you're not going to get an argument out of me. This is just, you know, I sometimes think, is it because I'm just an old dinosaur? You know, but I learn, no. I, I mean, I... It, it, right. It'll happen for me. I, I can solve a problem twice as fast if I just have a minute to talk to somebody. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, oh, you know, sure. then like, well, if, if so, so let me just make it sure and clear. I'm getting your, I'm getting the question right. Is this what you're asking me? No, this is not what I'm asking you. This is yeah. what I'm asking you. And the problem is, and, and I, I say this as often as I can, and I'm going to say it here again, there's been a extraordinary amount of research on let's call it text, email text, the written word, right? Uh-huh. At the percentage of people who think that the, when the sender is sending it, they believe it at something north of 90% that the receiver is going to receive it correctly <laughs> and, and with the intention they sent it. And the receiver 
believes they're interpreting it correctly, also north of 90% of the time. Whereas in the reality, there's many different surveys. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of about, you know, 55%. Yeah, I, I, and I'm I mean, sure do you really you want, to. Would you really want 45% of your people not to understand what you're, what you're saying? That's what enormous. Of, I don't understand why that's acceptable. Couldn't agree more. One of my favorite exercises that I've done in some of the, in the many leadership management, yeah. project management sort of trainings that I've mm-hmm. done is um, there's an exercise you can do where you ask a, uh, you show someone, you give them nine dots on a page mm-hmm. and you connect them with like a circle and a square and a, a mm-hmm. diagonal somewhere. And you're like, here, sit up in front of a room, the rest of the room, you're going to describe what you see on the paper and have everybody draw it. And um, it is amazing, the, the signal degradation. Yeah, right. But what yeah. is really amazing is if you do that experiment and you iterate on it, and you have someone do it, you give them 60 seconds and say, you describe it, have everybody draw it. And then you have the first randomly pick someone from the audience that you send up and describe it to everybody. That you send, and then you show like three steps in how far, and it, you know, you, you, it's totally unrecognizable as the same thing. And yeah. um, I think that goes to the idea that, um, that you really need to invest in understanding context. It, one-way dialogues, I'm talking at you, which is all that, flywheel sort of communication can really do. I'm talking at you. It does not go very well. What really works much better is I need to understand you, your context, where you're at, what you need, and make sure that we're really to try to reduce that degradation and improve Mm -hmm. the the strength and the fidelity of our our thinking and our collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Um, so when, when, I mean, you said you have everything you've done so far is inbound. So I don't know if this is appropriate, but can you sort of predict or do you have an idea of as you start doing outbound marketing, Phil, you know, the kind of challenges you might bump into? Do people realize they have this problem that they need? And and if they do, do they know they need it to, it to be solved? Yeah. So we do have an outbound function. Um, okay. We do have a sales, a sales team that okay. we have spun up. Um, they haven't yet started closing deals. And mm-hmm. um, part of the reason is that um, you have to find people who do, in fact, have this problem. Mm -hmm. And so, again, there's a lot of ClickUp and Monday and Trello and Jira and all those things. Everybody has some solution they're using Mm -hmm. to orchestrate work right now. Right. What you're specifically looking for is people who have this exact problem, which is I have cross-functional teams trying to execute on complex initiatives and I don't know how to see what's happening across my portfolio Mm -hmm, of work. mm -hmm. That's hard. Mm -hmm. And so um, so you're looking for that right there. And so... so I absolutely, I, not only will I predict, I can tell you that the outbound function is a lot or, a lot trickier because we have well, to right. figure out how to even profile those companies and then reach them. That have that cross-functional, and, yeah. Yeah, right. and so so right now, we have a few things we're trying right now. And check check back in with me in three to six months, I can tell you whether or not we were right or <laughs> well, we were wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we may have we have to do an update on this in six months or tw- nine yeah. months or something like that. Um. So have you thought, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this and we talked a little bit about it from, you know, from the standpoint from, from Brightcore, but, you know, you're just at seven employees now, um, you know, the, the four, the four co-founders and, you know, your three, they're your three full-time mm-hmm. employees. What, what is your, what have you thought about your town strategy here over the next year as you continue to grow next yep. year, two, three years? Well, so my hope is with this company and very, Brightcore required a, a very large, yeah. Uh, team. We, yeah. we had about 350 employees when I stepped out as CEO. And so I was ma- managing a good sized team uh, underneath me. 
And that was a, um, there, there's a, a lot of wonderful things about that. Uh, there's also a, a lot to uh, keep you up at night yeah. <laughs> with yeah. that many people. And um, as you can imagine, at 350 people, you, you surpass the point where you can rely on what I'm relying on today, which is a bunch of superstars doing superstar things. And so, you know, was it the, the NBA dream team that we took the Olympics and just like, you know, stomped everybody to the Olympics? It's not even fair because you put all these superstars together. That's kind of where we're at today. And, and of course, that strategy doesn't scale, but it does scale for a little bit. And so um, the reason being that I didn't have the opportunity to both build a staff of several hundred people And I worked with customers who had really bright people working on their staff. And I have friends that have started companies, people who have exited, who were really talented. And so one of the, the benefits of, of my particular perch and the vantage point that I am able to have is I, I have eyes on quite a few people, very talented yeah. people who, who will be available over yeah. the coming year or two. Awesome. And so assuming that things go well for us and we're scaling the team and we need to grow, Um, I can probably get to 30 to 50, somewhere in that ballpark, employees that are all rock solid. Now that's fantastic. Professionals. Yeah. Now, once I get past that, I had to go to 350 again, of course, I yeah, would that's, be... That's a different problem. Totally different problem. Yeah. And so at first, my, my strategy is go to the people I know who were great and and try to make them an offer they can't refuse so that they uh, they want to be a part of this. You know, I've seen over the years and I'm always kind of curious about, well, I'm, I've been curious about it because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, this is, you know, the strategy you just described is not uncommon, right? Yeah. Um, you know, founders don't have a lot of money yeah. uh, to spend. They, you know, want to spend it where they need to spend it, which is smart. 3.3 million to be exact in my case. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now you're paying seven people, <laughs> which yeah, you weren't exactly. doing before that. Exactly. <laughs> which and those seven people include the four of you co-founders. Yes. So um and 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 a whole army of contractors that are doing right and, and of course all your contractors exactly the full time staff right 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 so you know that 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 three point two million dollars may may dwindle down right I mean it will oh, dwindle yeah. down and of course yeah. you know you need customers but I'm always sort of you know I've seen so over the years you know over thirty years of doing business and working with primarily you know young company startups right. Um, oh, you know, let me call my buddy over here and, you know, they'll come work for me. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I could tell you a story of somebody, I won't give any specifics, um, who had been uh, somebody I'd worked with years ago. He was, you know, head of sales for a fabulous startup. They were extraordinarily successful. They sold to another very large company in the tech sector that everybody knows. Great exit. And then his next company, he was brought in because his CEO was put on the board of this other company um, in a particular space that yeah. this guy knew nothing about. And um, he brought in five people. They brought him in as the head of sales. And he brought in five people from the prior company and every single one of them failed <laughs> because wow. they were in a market that none of them actually understood. They understand the market. I mean, yeah. the problem was is why they hired him in the first place. He's a great sales leader, but not for that company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that problem is meaningful. So I, I always kind of find just because they were successful with us does not mean they're going to be successful with you. Yeah, th- th- that's exactly right. And, and I think one of the um, great challenges of hiring people that you know, yeah. and, and I ran into this problem at Brightcore Plenty, is when it doesn't work out, and inevitably it won't, especially if I, if I went on and hired 30 people, 
Yeah, you know, no one has 100% success. Spectacular if yeah. 27 of them, you know, worked out. I, it was probably more like 20 mm-hmm. that are really good in the position. And so then you have to have a very difficult conversation that's later right. that's like, hey, we are friends. And also, I'm sorry, you can't keep doing this. Which, by the way, I think in the future, I will be even more adept at having that conversation that was in the past because I'm able to say, I knew when it was my time to step out of my former job and I am still friends with the people that were in that room that day. Yeah. And, and so, so it is about what is best for the organization, not what is about you mm-hmm. as an individual. That's mm-hmm. true for me. And by the way, should it be true that 12 months from now, DevStride has not solved the product market fit problem and we're having a difficult time making those conversions, I'd be the first person to stand up and volunteer myself and say, you know what? Uh, I volunteer as tribute. Uh, let's bring in a CEO who is, who right. is better, at, yeah. who knows this yeah. better than me. Like for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I am not clicking in this position. Take me out, mm-hmm. coach, you know? Uh, but I, and, and I think that's just an, an issue of maturity and being clear with expectations up front on yes. what success looks like. Yes. And how you're going to judge yeah. success and performance. So for example, my, my current outbound team that we have put in place. I've made it very, very clear. Look, our success metric that we're going to be measuring against is MRR. Like, mm-hmm. is our MRR going up? And if it's not, it doesn't matter how much we all like each other. It's not working. Something's has to change. It's just not. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, and, and, and so I, I think that's a lot of it, setting those expectations right up front and, and helping everyone be on the same page. Again, alignment, alignment, alignment around how we define success. That's right. And again, this is something I've said for years, but you know, a lot of, not all founders know what you, what you just said. They really just don't see that. And, you know, I, I wonder in, in even bringing those, let's say those 30 people in, you know, 27 may end up being the success, 20 may end up being a success, right? Yeah. But when you bring those people in that you know ahead of time, do you also set that expectation with them? So that you don't have to be, you know, a year down the road and you're yeah. like, oh shit, I need to like, I need to get rid of this person. And I hope it doesn't ruin our relationship. Well, better to have that conversation up front. Oh yeah. To say, look, we're friends. Are you prepared? You know, are, are we both prepared in case this doesn't work out? I, I literally say, as you can imagine, the most delicate relationship of all is my own wife. That's and right. Whenever uh, we founded the company and we talked about whether we wanted to do another company together again, I had the conversation with her that she had it with me. It was a bi-directional thing. We're like, hey, look, at any point in time, it could be true that one or the other of us is not the best person for the job of right. this company. Mm-hmm. That has to not be an issue for the two of us if it if that happens. Yeah. And I think we both genuinely feel that and believe that we want what's best for this company. We have invested a meaningful amount of our own personal capital as yes. well as a absolute ton, two years now, almost of our own personal time. Yes. And so I want the company to be successful far more than I care that I have a particular title at some organization. Right. So I don't care right. about that. You know, yeah. I want the organization to be successful. I'm a shareholder in the organization. That's right. And so, so, so definitely setting those expectations clearly up front. If you are friends, it is that much more critical that you mm-hmm. are frank and candid and everyone is aimed. And, and if there's any piece of advice I give founders and CEOs, it's dumb it down. Go to the like the one, maybe two things that matter in the case of outbound sales, MRR. How much MRR did you generate? Monthly recurring revenue did you generate? That's it. I don't care 
what activities went into it. I mean, I do care. We will have a lot of discussions about what activities go yeah. into it, but that's not what matters. What matters is what we do. What matters is the result we get. And so we're all placing our chips on the board where we think they're going to hit. And and if you're wrong, you're wrong. And I'm sorry. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry for me. That's just the way <laughs> yeah. that is. And, yeah. and it's fine. Okay. Move on. Awesome. Um, so if anybody listening to this is thinking, oh, I got a solution to that problem he's got. Um, I'd love to talk to him about that. How should they reach you? <laughs> yeah, so you can reach me at phil, P-H-I-L, at devstride.com. It's D-E-V-S-T-R-I-D-E.com. Phil at devstride.com. Okay. That's my email address. And you can also hit me up on LinkedIn. And uh, I think all, all the socials have me. Um, and if you hunt really hard, you might find me playing my guitar somewhere. <laughs> so, Some bar in the city. Yeah, it could be a whole separate like thing. <laughs> with, a, with a whiskey neat next to you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just described most of my Saturday nights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, is there anything, Phil, I have not asked you that you wanted to uh, bring up before we sign off here? Um. Nothing in particular that we need okay. to talk about. I, okay. really, I really appreciate the time. I appreciate the uh, inquisitive nature and, and the work that you're doing to help leaders uh, understand how to better manage their teams, their talent, their organization. Um, I think, you know, the Authentically Successful podcast is spectacular. You're doing oh. a, a great job. It's really compelling. I enjoy listening. That's really nice. I really appreciate that, Phil. So, Phil Reynolds, co-founder and CEO of Devstride. Uh, thank you. That's very, very nice words. Uh, I've known you now for for um, you know, three three years, I guess now a little over three years. And yeah, uh, let's hope this goes on for a while. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com/podcast/apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.